David A. Price presents... folks welcome to marvel noise episode 402 i'm your host steve raker recovering from a sinus infection that manifested the day before thanksgiving after doing my leaves must have taken in some debris that then fermented this has been some fall for old steve raker thank goodness for comics nice to have the opportunity to finally sit down and read a few this episode, the guys will be on, and we'll catch up with a meaty recent reads roundtable before next episode's holiday season stories. 2022 is winding down like Zabu taking an afternoon nap next to Kazar in the jungle. Marvel Noise is the semi-monthly Marvel-centric podcast proudly sponsored by nobody, even with 15 years under our belts. No Patreon, no advertisers to please. The noise we make is our own. Even Kevin's audible typing. We're part of Dastardly Derek Coward's Deliberate Noise Network, where you can find plenty of other podcasts to catch your ear, including Indie Comic Book Noise, our sister show where we talk indie comics. But this is Marvel Noise. This is Marvel Noise. Now, I was looking at the solicits uh, now a couple of months ago, and saw the name Murder World pop up for a series of one-shots. Murder World Avengers, Murder World Spider-Man, Wolverine, Moon Knight, and then a finale issue. And I'm thinking, cool, I like Arcade's Murder World. And here we have some heroes who I can't recall having seen dealing with a Murder World scenario. Except for Wolverine, right? But I've always thought that Arcade and Murder World made for fun comics. Murder World first appeared in Marvel Team-Up 65 and 66 back in the fall of 1978. It was Spidey and Captain Britain being Captain Britain's first U.S. comics appearance, written by Chris Claremont with art by John Byrne and Dave Hunt. Then a few months later, there was the very memorable two-parter in Uncanny X-Men 123 and 124 in the spring of 1979. I was eight years old when I was picking these up off the shelf. Also written by Claremont with pencils by John Byrne, this time inks by Terry Austin. These are the ones with Colossus being brainwashed into a Soviet agent and everything. It also had a fun callback to the Marvel 2-in-1 issue with the Spider-Man cameo where he's trying to warn them because he recognizes the garbage truck kidnap scenario. And all the girlfriends were kidnapped, right? Arcade was fun. And Murder World at that time was still pre-video game console. And in fact, it had the X-Men appearing as if they were in a pinball machine, right? And Murder World was like a cross between like the James Bond man with the golden gun labyrinth and the Joker's Funhouse. There was a sequel two years later on Uncanny X-Men 146, where the replacement X-Men have to make it through Murder World. Havoc and Polaris, Iceman, and a depowered Banshee. 
Sean Cassidy, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. That time it was Claremont with art by Dave Cockrum and Joe Rubenstein. For the next 30 years, 30 years, Murder World popped up here and there, sometimes modified or evolved into a confusing AI experience or virtual reality scenario. Nothing really memorable that I recall. Or straightforward linear storytelling in that video game level, just gotta get from point A to point B to the light at the end of the tunnel type vibe that a Murder World story is perfect for. But Murder World got a pretty cool update with 2012's 18-issue Avengers Island Arena, or whatever it was, series, by Dennis Hopeless, with art by Kev Walker, where 16 adolescent teen heroes have to survive a Murder World Island game show thing run by Arcade. It was all very Battle Royale, with a little Hunger Games thrown in, too, since that was big in the culture at the time. And then again, 10 years of not much worth noting. Until I saw the solicits. Writers Jim Zub, uh-oh, and Ray Fox, remember, remember, with Jethro Morales' art. Never heard of him. The first Avengers-themed issue came out, but instead of it being the Avengers trying to escape Murder World... It was more like a squid game scenario with a group of people trying to survive Murder World. 200 contestants with a $100 million prize reward. And it's just the threats in Murder World were Avengers murder bots. So it wasn't what I expected at all and not what I really wanted. And to be frank, I didn't really care for it. Hopefully the Moon Knight issue will be cool, though. I love that old Harlan Ellison written fill-in on Daredevil 208 from 1984. It was David Mazzucchelli's first Daredevil-ish, I think, with inks by the recently passed Danny Bolinati. Rest in peace, Danny. And it had Daredevil going through a Murder World-style mansion dealing with trap after trap. It was a fun issue. Moon Knight and Murder World could have the same vibe. So don't mess it up, Zub. Alright, the noise train is already rolling. Let me get the guys. I reckon it's time we rally for a recent Reads Roundtable to rouse your reticular formation. What do you say? Wow. Sound good? I've got Andrew the L.A. Rabbit. Hello. Hello. <laughs> WWX Kevin is here. Sounds fantastic. And we've got Gary Arkell back. How you doing, guys? He's becoming our, our recent reads guy. You know how this goes. What have you guys been reading? Kevin, fire off one for us. Uh, well, I thought we were going to do the, the big round table one at the, at the beginning. But uh, if not, you can do anything you want. I am saying, let's oh, go. Okay. I'm if I'm in control of the vertical and the horizontal. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> uh, 
I, I picked up um, Neymar, the Submariner, uh, Conquered Shores. I guess partly, I, I, I would say, Steve, that y you um, have been talking up um, Mr. Uh, Christopher Cantwell, I think, in recent uh, years on this yeah. podcast. Yeah, I enjoyed both his Iron Man run, or at least the first half of it that I've read. The rest, I kind of was waiting. Once I knew it was going to end, I was waiting for it to end, and then I'll read the rest of the big chunk. And, uh, you know, because he brought back Hellcat and all that. He brought back characters that it's like, this guy seems like he like, you know, grew up around the same time. And his indie book, The Blue Flame, was was very entertaining and wasn't exactly what I was thinking it was going to be, but that was in a good way. And similarly, at least from the back page of this Namor book, he pretty much describes that, yeah, he's a reader who came right up at the same time that I was reading comics and kind of likes the same Bronze Age into early 80s type comics that some of the older guys in this year round table grew up reading. Yeah, and he was involved with Halt and Catch Fire. I believe that's the name of the show? Huh. Yeah, so and I just thought that was And who doesn't like uh, Bill Everett? So, you know. <laughs> right? Submariner? Yep. And then I look at uh, Pascal Ferry on art, and I'm like, that sounds like a package I got to check out. Yeah, Ferry's one of those artists that I think... Uh, a mismatch with the colorist can make a hot mess of some of his line work. And here it's Hollingsworth who does a real nice job, including a lot of, you know, underwater type, uh, palette tones and stuff. Yeah. There's certainly a lot of, uh, underwater ishness with, uh, this futuristic, um, I don't know if you could say this is the future, but it's definitely, like one of those type of apocalyptic future types of things that uh, all these books do with like <laughs> it opens with like that that scene with the Statue of Liberty sticking out of the water. <laughs> no, <laughs> not like this. Yeah, you see, I, I I went to the store today and I picked up issue number two. I never saw issue number one, and I tried to read it and I couldn't follow it. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't hear any of the hype related to the book, so I was really surprised. I mean, it wasn't at all as I was expecting that it's like future Namor in a post-apocalyptic Earth where Atlantis is like what's left of civilization because it's protected under the water there. Like, that's wild. Pretty yeah. science fiction-y. Yeah, you, you would think with uh, some big on-screen... Uh moments coming up like that that they would have a like something that that's a closer to uh a tie-in but no this is just a namor story that they want out there is it a namor story though because i'm was at the end i was starting to feel like is this going to be like an, an invaders reunion story well it kind of is that in a way too i'll take it <laughs> I mean, those guys are always somehow 
bumping into each other, right? If they're, if they're still around, yeah. I mean, it seems like all the heroes are gone, but Captain America isn't because he's hanging out in the... Well, yeah, like in, it, the, it, in the in the slums, right, where like the surface dwellers who don't live on the poisoned surface anymore, yeah, are it, allowed to live. It seems like most of the heroes went off world to uh, do some battles and uh, never returned. Hmm. So yeah, you you have kind of that weird situation instead of. Uh, Neymar being all hot-headed and um, assaulting everyone at uh, every few minutes, <laughs> like he—he's the the cool dude trying to help people out with this um, weird, yeah, sort of like ghetto-ish area. As um, I mean, another one of our favorite characters from another segment is uh, running things underwater. Yeah, Namor isn't the isn't the monarch of Atlantis in this future anymore. He gave up the crown, and with it goes some of the pressures that you know lead him to make harsh decisions and stuff. It's it softened him, having given up the crown. Yeah, but it's also taken away some of his power, so he doesn't have exactly the clout, even though he's the boots on the ground that sees how kind of the surface dwellers are being treated like in some cases like some of the worst minorities are, are treated or have been treated in the past um that uh you know he's unable to affect immediate change interesting though yeah interesting totally. to see where like, it goes I, i'm definitely into uh check the rest of this thing out and he's and got the nice and... Richards temples, you know, like the white sideburns. I like that. <laughs> yeah, old man cat. <laughs> and it's nice and, and bright and everything. And then you get those underwater sequences with all the poppy colors. And I'm like, all the different underwater uh, things you can do. And I'm like, yeah, I'm there. Crazy cities. Gary, what have you been reading? Well, I got a bunch of things. Um, Give us one to start. <laughs> okay. Um, She-Hulk, seven, and I just got eight today, and I also read that, but that's probably too soon to talk about eight, but I'll just talk about seven. It, seem, it seems that, that Rainbow um, Wall is, is trying to have Yuma, and then at the same time, it's leading up to some type of story. I don't, I don't exactly know what though. Um, yeah. I've been enjoying the tone of the book overall. It seems yeah. like it's like it, it's got a good flow to it that you just kind of take the ride because you feel like it seems like it's going somewhere. But it's kind mm -hmm. of funny that like they bring in Jack of Hearts and <laughs> he he doesn't have his powers anymore, which. And it almost makes me believe that he's not really Jack of Hearts. Mm -hmm. The way the way this whole story, it almost makes me think that he's scamming her. No, no. Is it going to be Loki? I think it might be some some other type of green being. Oh. Hmm. But the Impossible um, Man, Impy. 
<laughs> I think it might. I think it might be a, a skull, but not a nihilist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be. I mean, remember she used to hang out with that uh, scroll uh, Jacinda oh, back when right. Peter Peter David was writing yeah. her book, and oh. Jacinda just popped up in some other title. I forget where I saw her recently, but oh, we're gonna talk about that title i think oh, Kevin okay. and i <laughs> excellent so, so then 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 she, the client that 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 is um coming up to is is a doom bot <laughs> which and that whole sequence is is pretty funny because he's he's uh he he actually is sentient it he thinks he's dr doom but his um his his friend is telling him you know is is he saying oh that's the whole problem. He's not really Doctor Doom, so it's hard for, <laughs> it's hard sounds, for her to be his her, his defense lawyer. This sounds just like the Doctor Doom bot from the Runaways series. That's pretty funny. I don't. <laughs> it might be the same one. Yeah. It was a it was a good sequence. Yeah, yeah. And then we get the end, which is leading to the whole story where this. She visits some woman, and I don't know if this appeared before. Where I guess this woman is supposed to be like a, a, a was maybe complaining about her husband getting angry and, and and beating her or something. And then you see her husband, and he's a big guy, and he's only slightly green. So right away, I was thinking somehow he got to be like a Hulk, and this woman. Looks like she got short and then her head got big. So at first I thought, okay, maybe she's a little person. But um, it, hmm. it, it kind of leads up to the whole thing where they kidnap She-Hulk and they throw her downstairs and then they she sees like this whole lab and then she sees like a whole poster of her and it looks like looks like they've been studying her from afar so and then I, I read the set issue number eight today and and it show, really gets really um deep into the whole story of these these people who just kidnapped her hmm. so it, it it looks it looks like a pretty good story i i've, ne I've never seen anything this angle before like i don't think we've ever had like somebody trying to be a hulk usually usually people like avoid being a hulk right yeah because <laughs> they reason. know it eventually goes bad and then you become a savage beast you can't it's hard to control it so th these people actually want to be a hulk i guess Go figure. <laughs> I was glad that it has nothing to do with the TV show because I don't have Disney Plus, so I'm not really watching the TV show. So I don't, I don't really want like a, a comic that's connected with the TV show or with the, with the movie. Well, putting Jack of Hearts in there makes it be uh, a pretty deep dive into old Marvel history and continuity, you know, so... That's for sure. Yeah, they really haven't explained his, his story yet, so that I almost think that he's not really Jack of Hearts. We'll see. 
He thinks he's Jack of Hearts. That's the important thing. I think he's saying that just to fool her. <laughs> <laughs> he's a doombot who thinks he's Jack of Hearts. No. All right, Andrew. Fire something off. All right. Well, you guys know me. It's uh, me hanging out on Marvel Noise. Kevin's <laughs> on the mic. You know, that means I got to talk, talk about the countdown to G.I. Joe 300. Ah, only joke, guys. <laughs> wow. I mean, Thunderbolts. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, we, uh, I'm, I'm only up to it through issue three. I know at the time of this release, four should be out, but I don't have it in my hot little hands, so can only talk about... I'm, and I believe we talked about one, haven't we, Kevin? Yes. G.I. Joe number one? I don't remember that. <laughs> So we're back, uh, Jim Zub, taking another spin on the bolts. And what's fun is, uh, so it's Sean Zaxi and um, Javi Tartaglia is seen, but by issue three, we have a guest penciler and anchor. Yeah. And it's no knock on them, but it just makes me laugh that like, well, you know, two issues is a lot to do. <laughs> you need to get the uh, Netho Diaz and Victor Olazaba in there to, to help out. But we do have some... And the book colorist, was delayed. Uh, some colorist help. So that, that works out. And so uh, what I thought was interesting overall is Zub is a guy that seems to be pretty steeped in Marvel history. So I'm always fascinated by what strings he pulls and doesn't pull. For instance, we have Hawkeye back as the leader of the Thunderbolts. But he's, I feel like, his Hawkeye owes more to the fraction Aja or Aha Hawkeye, kind of the complete goof, than yeah. the Thunderbolts Hawkeye. But I would which say I don't have a problem with. Smooth. I just feel like he doesn't have that same. So a lot of it are gags where he's goofing up. <laughs> the other problem I think I have is he's uh, stacked it with a little bit too much. Um, power so there's always goofy for instance by having you know a mind control character you know the purple girl on it purple persuasion or whatever name they always have to like knock her out super quick out of the battle because she can just end it plus the addition of uh, <laughs> uh, the real Captain Marvel same thing so you're getting these super heavy hitters and I think that maybe Re, well, I think they're fine characters realigning. Maybe the team strengths would be a bit better. But I did appreciate in the second issue, uh, as I said, Hawkeye's running the team, but he's kind of a mess. They introduce Egro, which is basically, I'm pretty sure Jim Zub's like dedication to Ogre. I mean, you can't reverse oh, Ogre no. <laughs> or you get Ergo, but the spelling's pretty close. The eyes. Oh. You guys remember, um, well, maybe you don't, but longtime listeners might remember our Thunderbolt segment. And Ogre had those goggles in this guy's eyes. He's like a little short, powerful, interdimensional goof character. And just the whole thing was like, this has to be like, Kevin, am I crazy? Did, didn't you get Ogre vibes off, especially with I, the name and everything? I did not get one Ogre vibe. I got <laughs> 50s and 60s Ditko Lee uh, Kirby monster vibes. 
I don't know. I felt like his attitude wasn't reflective of those monsters, which were either uh, just outright destroyers or kind of misunderstood. This well, guy I, seems I, a little wisecracky for that. I, you, did you read those monster one shots in the 2000s there? When, like, you know, Foom was, like, in the kitchen and everything? I feel like those monsters all had weird personalities like this monster. Are you talking about Monsters Alicia? It was it was a bunch of stuff like monsters on the prowl, and I, I can see it homaging that. I just don't feel like it's directly because there's that. What I like other than the outrageous names, which is fun about them, is I do like they're kind of like they're not wisecracking hip MCU style characters <laughs> like Egro might be. But it, anyways, Egro is the classic villain who gets recruited to the team. So, you know, now we're buffing the team out. Ogre has joined the team. Yeah. <laughs> Fake Ogre. <laughs> I'm going to be alone in this. And then three leads us into the uh, a classic Red Ghost companions, the Super Apes. Not really a big spoiler. They're all over the cover. So the apes have taken over the park, and it's up to this team to fight them off. And then the behind the scenes is going that the real Captain Marvel and Hawkeye are having a bit of uh, trouble keeping the team straight. And she's joining the team to kind of help out. There's a explanation in the beginning for why she's doing it. Cause she is currently at the um, way underneath in the uh, Kadesh base. Kadesh. Don't know how you say that, you know, cause she was part of the more impressive super team. And this definitely does seem like a step down. <laughs> Skadoosh. <laughs> but she is still uh, dating uh, Mr. Terrific. So. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, come on, guys. A little uh, uh, distinguished competition humor to lighten it up. But yeah, uh, Zim, Z Zub, a little. He really likes having all those quips everywhere, which is a Marvel comic. It's fine. I guess that's the counter. I wouldn't mind a little bit more heft of the thing, but I'm enjoying it. I am going to buy four. I'm rattling around. I guess we should ask the resident Thunderbolts guy if he's still on the train. I mean, I'm buying the whole miniseries, limited series. Limited? What? Uh, no way. This thing's going to go for like 75 issues, Kevin. Even though they said it's five issues, it's going to go for 75? It's going to be like Transformers. I don't see that on the cover of my comic book. A, a delay and a fill-in artist with issue yeah. three is an, isn't a good sign for the long yeah. run. <laughs> it does seem I like mean, the team is... <laughs> I mean, this is better than, than those issues I read of the previous uh, Bolts, but still yeah. not... Um, That's for sure. Not it, exactly it... jazzing me up either. Yeah, then they got to have like at least one or two issues about who that... that... That guts and glory guy is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hot and ready, or whatever. <laughs> well, is he really got in hot water. Race? It seemed like with uh, creating that guy. <laughs> well, I hope you stockpiled a bunch, Kevin, when those first appearance fees make the issue super expensive to get years from now. Oh, when when. That's the when he joins the Thunderbolts uh, yeah. in uh, the MCU. Yeah, that's going to be a hot commodity. 
And I'll be like, I can't believe you didn't use Daniel Axum instead. <laughs> exactly. Well, this way Zub gets a little love in the bank account. Have we talked much about the uh, Axe Judgment Day line-wide event thing I that just happened? don't think so. I, we might have talked a little bit about it when yeah. it started, but... The main book was written by Kieran Gillen with art by Valerio Shidi. And, you know, it was a line-wide thing. Wow. Well, not... I wouldn't it, say line-wide. Well, well, you could be if you wanted to participate. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I could, well, that's the aspect I wanted to get into is really to mention a, a couple of the tie-ins. But the Axe is Avengers, X-Men, and Eternals. And the bad dude who is in charge of the Eternals decides that the mutants are a, a deviancy. That's a good, and, that's a good hook. You know, they're sworn to wipe out the deviants. So they go to war with Krakoa and Mars and the Avengers are pretty much caught in the middle because they've, you know, had X-Men on their team and Eternals for that matter. I, I, I don't know. I mean, Look, I like the Marvel and DoorDash comic book they release for free, but I don't know that I need a comic book that's a tie-in for a body spray. Steve, it seems like yeah, right? it's really... But the DoorDash yeah. one is free. Man you perfume. Should, you should uh, check it out. It, it's pretty funny. I the... mean, not intentionally funny, but just... Man, those uh, combo comics are pretty funny when they're pushing stuff. Combo, so, man? So the event leads to being a line-wide thing when part of the teams eventually unite and, I mean, God only knows why, they create their own reanimated celestial from the deceased <laughs> celestial that acts as Avengers Tower. <laughs> but it's, you know, like a twisted monstrosity as soon as it's turned on and decides to judge everyone on Earth. Who could have foreseen that, right? I mean, like, that, uh, <laughs> that's what the Celestials do. That yeah. leads to yeah. some good moments in other books. Well, that's that was my point. I mean, so each hero, if their own titles, you know, if it, writers wanted to participate, get to have their hero face a challenge of some sort and is judged by this Celestial thing that goes around. So you get all these like character exploring scenarios that play out, but it kind of reminds me though, Kevin, of a little too much of like Secret Wars Two, where the That's Beyonder. That's exactly what I was thinking about. Right, because uh... the Beyonder goes around it into everyone's books and like tests them to learn, you know, about their character and what makes a hero be a hero and all that business. I I, I didn't see. Peter go into the bathroom and say, this is the toilet. And I, it, so yeah, it's yeah. not entirely it's not that on bad. that level. I mean, yeah. I think but, it's more but, but you know what I mean? It kind of went in that direction as far as how they spread its tendrils out into all the different books or again, uh, gave the writers an opportunity to participate if they wanted to, but there are a few, I mean, maybe good more ones. like original sin. Yeah, it had a, it had a part of that vibe to it too. Yeah. Um, but one the, the, the amazing Spider-Man issue was was very good, I thought. Yes. 
It was and just I, creepy because it wasn't it wasn't drawn um, exactly what you would think either. It was it's just unsettling. Well, I liked Captain Marvel forty two, which was written by Kelly Thompson with art by Andrea Devito. The art is really good. It's like that clean, like Paul Pelletier, Tom Grummet type, really good looking art. While Captain Marvel, Carol. And her sister, who's the new equivalent of Ronan the Accuser, they're like fighting in the streets, fighting this threat and being judged themselves. But the issue pretty quickly becomes a tale about Carol's cat, <laughs> the, the one who's really an alien that has um, uh, who's big on consumption, let's say. <laughs> right. And so the issue follows the cat around. Because it's being judged, too. <laughs> it ends up being a pretty fun read with the middle section not having a lot of dialogue because of the cat and some cool page design, too, including a double-page spread that shows, like, the apartment building and the cat kind of moving through the apartment building to all the different spots and having these different encounters along the way. It, it was a, a, good, a good read. They've been doing some different things in the Captain Marvel book. Yeah. The other one that stood out to me was Legion of X, number six, which is Cy Spurrier and Raphael Pimentel that has the reanimated celestial judging Legion, the nutso but, you know, supremely powerful psychic mutant. But he knows it's coming. So, like, when... And, and he's pretty ho-hum and casual about the whole encounter. So when the Celestial comes, the Celestial's kind of thrown off. Like, oh, you you know you know me? You know what's going on? Like, he's thrown, thrown off of the... Like, the power dynamic is immediately off kilter. And Legion recounts how he did battle with uh, Uranus, the... Uh, undying the like supremely powerful unkillable eternal that got let loose on mars and within an hour destroyed the whole civilization basically and kind of how legion was battling him but really just trying to distract him while nightcrawler bounced around like a madman rescuing everybody like teleporting as many people to safety as as he could it, it was interesting you know when you, whenever you have two like cosmic level beings fighting but they're not actually fighting because they all they need to do is kind of talk to each other to see who has the upper hand uh, it was an interesting read i haven't really enjoyed that book overall but that issue number six was a good and a, and a good tie-in so, yeah, there have been some good tie-ins along those lines. Uh, Spider-Man 1 was good, too, and there have been a few others. But overall, not uh, an event that really excited me. Really? Yeah. Huh. Reminds me of, from your description of that Fantastic Four 400 we just recently covered <laughs> with the, the massive beings of the universe slugging it out. Yeah, I'd rather that. No, I would take Axe over um, 
what was the one that uh, oh, now I'm blanking. That's terrible. That's, this is, this is how great that uh, Daredevil one was. Devil's oh. Reign. I would take this over Devil's Reign. Okay. I would take this over um, em- Empire. Mm. I would take it over that one. Yep, I would too. Yeah. I, I, I ha- It's been a while since I've enjoyed a good Marvel uh, event. Yep. Maybe maybe Secret Invasion was the last one I enjoyed. I'm gonna take it over Secret Invasion. Wow. You can have it. It's yours. I mean, I wouldn't take it over Secret Wars. I mean. Yeah, come on. I mean, you know, you had all those great Mattel toys. That, <laughs> Andrew, that was Marvel superheroes Secret Wars. Hey, look, all I know is I had the coloring books, okay? <laughs> I couldn't figure out how they tied in with the issues, but I had them. All right, Kevin, you're up. I am? Yeah. All right. So, uh, seeking out those uh, weird corners of uh, the Marvel Universe, but it has Wolverine. So, I mean, how weird is it really? <laughs> I... <laughs> I mean, if this was some other book, he'd be there with his claws up, and he'd be like, yeah, here, I'm just here to pop up the sales. But, uh, yeah, I had to check out this uh, Midnight Suns. But not Suns. I mean, Sun is like the sun. Hmm. I, I read him, time too. for the video game. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, <laughs> if the video game is going to be like this. I mean, I'd, I wouldn't expect a video game to have that much a Strange Academy. I was surprised at that too. It's very yeah. much spins out of Strange Academy, yeah, like a lot. Like I, it's it's basically like the Secret Defenders have to form to protect one of the students of the Strange Academy. Yeah. But the whole idea of like a Secret Defenders that forms is perfect for a video game thing because I bet it'll be something where you get to like choose your team, right? That kind of thing from all different characters or whatever. Oh, I hope so, because I would like to pick a lot of these characters. Not Wolverine, you, you actually make your own character. I've been deliberating whether to get oh, this boo. or not. But it is more in the magical realm of the Marvel guy, so there is more, you know, you're the big bad, I guess, is Lilith and everything. I don't know if I'm going to get it or not, but, hmm. you know, these big AAA games are always a lot of hemming and hawing it's a lot of time that you're investing and you're like is this thing worth it what system do i get it on so many questions well it depends what well it's probably not on my system so i don't know if i'll have to worry about that no they got it coming out for the switch oh really yeah interesting i mean i think it's not dropping at the same time they're dropping later and they're doing some of the older playstation 4 and xbox one supported along with the newer systems it's just kind of a mess trying to that stuff makes my brain hurt so anyways i'm distracting from the real media the comic book (laughs) i mean i would want to be sister grim in that game or something like that but you're telling me i can't so i mean i'm just gonna keep on imagining it you make your own character the real (laughs) whirlwind not some chauffeur to some rich lady (laughs) (laughs) so the team the midnight suns here is wolverine like you said and uh magic right and that's the tie-in for wolverine because the x-men magic is tied then there's uh blade 
because he's a guest lecturer that that day. <laughs> Does that not take you back to Wolverine and the X-Men when they had all these like crazy substitute teachers and all that and Deathlock showed up? Totally. <laughs> and uh, Nico and the Spirit Rider Ghost Rider. Yeah, that was unexpected. And there's also like Doctor Doom and Clea and Agatha Harkness playing well, large just, roles. I just laugh that Doom has to show up as like a, a last page reveal. Like he's the master of last page appearances in Marvel Comics. For sure. Because <clears throat> you know you're picking up the next issue. And I it's know, worth right? it. The whole Doom confrontation in issue two is is really good. Yeah, I, w- I would I would say uh, I enjoyed myself. I wasn't I don't disappointed. Know. Overall, though, I mean, I think the book is entertaining enough, but it's pretty vanilla, just like The Secret Defenders was back in its day. I mean, I don't think I'll come to hate this as much as I did The Secret Defenders back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's still time. I mean, maybe maybe it was the time I was reading it at. Maybe if we, I went back, reassessed The Secret Defenders, I would be able to find something that I couldn't find when I originally read it. All right, Gary, you're up. All right. Um, we got a new Fantastic Four, number one. Oh. And it's kind of strange because um, there was some there was some points or, or, or different things that they didn't get solved in the other series, so I was like, I was like wondering what happened. <laughs> and then also we know that Alex Ross had his own, um, what is it, series or graphic novel, but I haven't really seen that in the stores at all. Uh, it's been, I would say, not the easiest to obtain, and I don't know what to attribute that to. I'm like, maybe it's selling really well, but I had to wait yeah. three to five weeks for mine <laughs> for that uh, Fantastic Four full circle. It also was it also was solicited twice, like a premiere version and a regular version. So it kind of came out two months in a row too, which was kind of weird. But anyway, yeah. we have that on deck to talk about. Okay, all right. So it, it's kind of a, like a Twilight Zone type of thing, and it only has Thing and Alicia. Yeah, I, I find it's weird that they're doing that again because I re, I remember the. The slot starting. It wasn't the full team. Yeah, yeah, and and then and then it goes into the whole thing how um, something happened to the children, <laughs> um, which I kind of remember in the other series. And then it, it, it's kind of like uh, sort of the type of story that that I think Byrne would have done, where where they're in some type of small town and it's a it's a time loop type of uh-huh. thing. So it almost makes me think that they find some type of script that John Bolt, Byrne wrote and we did it. <laughs> I, I think that's indicative of where um, Ryan North uh, comes from since he did some kind of crazy stories in Squirrel Girl. I think you've been drinking the Squirrel Cow Milk. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> And then, uh, and I kept on thinking about the one thing that didn't get solved from the previous issue, 
which is, um, you know, Johnny Storm's powers being amped up. And I kept on saying, well, they never solved that. They never fixed that. And then, and then I see the, the panel at the end, and I'm like, maybe that's what they happened. Oh. Because this is similar to that Amazing Spider-Man number one where they started, there's been a time gap, and there's something that they haven't, that happened and they haven't explained yeah. it yet. I have a problem with that. They, 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 there's not much of a window that I allow a writer to operate if they're going to try to pull that stunt. But I'll give them a chance. It's so the FF. I, I, it's my beloved FF, so I'll definitely give him a chance. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this it, it, it's a good issue on its own, and I'm I'm, I'm curious, you know, what's what's going to happen, you know, later on? Are they going to have like one issue where it's just Reed and Sue, and then are they going to have another issue where it's where, where it's jo just Johnny, you know? And... See, now you can do that, and and they you gotta have them as a team for several issues first, but taking a little break and f having the team split up and go on their own, you know, uh, Johnny visit Wyatt Wingfoot out in the Indian reservation and have to fight the Texas twister or something. You know what I mean? Like all that, yeah, those yeah. kinds of side stories where the FF split off and, and do their thing are make for good storytelling, but I don't know about starting a series off that way, but well, well, I, I, we'll I see. Think they're gonna, I think they're going to write, eventually come and explain what happened and, and why the the four of them are not together right now you know maybe they're just taking a break or, or maybe no. something happened it was that thing that reed did i'm sure <laughs> either, he, either he did something well that's the thing i didn't really get a clear ending of the previous series about what happened to the um the the, the war you know with the watchers all right well, I, I haven't finished reading the first series, but when I do, I'll report on it because I do love me the FF, and I don't think we've said much of anything really about the slot series. Yeah, <laughs> a little I, bit I at the beginning. What, how that I, yeah, ended I think that. I covered it at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And then I don't they remember had how the, that event ended. I mean, I wasn't impressed with that series, and then I fell off, and then yep. that was it. I'm, I'm almost done reading it, though. I'll, I'll let you know what happens, Gary. Because <laughs> <Okay>. oh. <laughs> now you got me intrigued to read this one, and I'll have to read the other to to read uh, before I start this one. But full circle wasn't like that. You were uh, you could just jump right in. That's well, like a an evergreen type of uh, I think graphic novel. I think he's trying to bring people back into reading the fantastic four he didn't i don't think he's doing well obviously he's not doing something that's um continuity no but wants, it's also like nostalgic so yeah so time. he wants to do something that's in a few ways anybody can pick up and read i liked in let's talk about full circle since we're talking about it it's a 62 page story with an additional two pages of painted origin that is like the inside flap of the dust cover, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I would out. say like it's from Abrams uh, Comic Arts, is it? Yep. 
And yeah, I've never uh, seen a dust cover like that. Yeah, that's really I know. Cool. That's that's kind of impressive, and I would it's it's a it's a cool package, and I've noticed they have other uh, graphic novels in in their line that I'm gonna have to pick up. So I'm like, I'm pretty impressed. I have the slightly oversized hardcover. I don't know. Yes, yeah, Steve, you mentioned there were two versions. I don't know what which now, one you was. Guys, did you guys pre-order this? Or, or... Yes. Yes. Okay. I just one... got it off Amazon. <laughs> the first... Okay, because I, I did not see it in my local store at all. The first one you could pre-order was with a slip case and a print and then uh, included. And then the next month you could order the regular edition and that's oh so uh, it's the same book it's just extra job yep okay oh yep. good good i yep. just because if there was like a larger version or one without any uh dialogue or text i would be very interested in that <laughs> yeah well <laughs> and i just find it the, funny how they 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 mention on the back of here it's like about uh his trademark visual storytelling and i'm like i don't know if you if you think it's a certain Alex Ross you're going to get in here. I don't know if you would be, if you would get exactly what you expected. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're fooled a little bit by the origin. Yeah. Because that's painted like regular, but at least it's, it's the same art that you see on the cover. Oh Bless yeah. You. Is this connected to the the sixties or is it connected to any time or. So here's what's cool about it. It, it seems like it takes place really any time after issue 110 it could be yesterday or it could be in the 80s or it could be in the 90s but it does call back to a few stories from the 60s and very early 70s which is cool at its core it's like it's a really fine sequel to Fantastic Four Fifty One, the This Man, This Monster, which is but probably also, one of the greatest FF stories. Totally, but it's also a sequel to Fantastic Four One Hundred Eight One Hundred Nine with Janice the Nega Man. That one was written by Stan Lee with art by John Buscema and Joe Sinnott, and the Nega Man was another college rival of Reed's, who they meet again in the negative zone in, in this full circle book. And then also it's not really a sequel, but it uses elements from FF King size special number six in 1968. That is, uh, you know, Lee Kirby and Joe Sinnott. That's the one where Franklin gets born and they have to go to the ne negative zone to get Annihilus's cosmic control rod to help facilitate the childbirth. And while they're in the negative zone, on that trip, Reed postulates that the world that they see below, like the distortion zone, could be an inhabited one of people made entirely of antimatter. Like it could be an antimatter Earth. And he imagines if he shook hands with someone there, which they show in like the little Kirby drawn thought bubbles of Reed imagining the earth, what this world would look like and him shaking hands with this guy and, and then exploding, right? Cause it's matter and antimatter. But in this story, they actually go to that planet that Reed saw and imagined that. And he is able to go and shake hands with a dude and Ross draws it exactly. He does 
homages the pose and the panel exactly the way Kirby and Sinnott did it, which is so cool. Like the thing that Reed imagined he gets to do, it, it, it brings it full circle, right? It's really and, cool. And to Kevin's point, I am generally actually the Alex Ross painted stuff doesn't do anything for me. Like it's super talented, but it just not how I'm interested in superheroes, but this stuff, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited I got this. Yeah. The colors have a vibrancy. Yeah. Yeah. That really can't be undersold. Uh I was less the story didn't really hook me in the same way. Like I said, I'd be fine if there was no dialogue or text blocks at all and just you can kind of follow what's going on most of the way. Mm. And it's just great. Like he really uses so many different techniques. And so many different, like I said, there's the bright colors and there's the dark. Then there looks to be like black light kind of pages Totally. It's here. totally evocative <laughs> of 60s black light posters. Totally. Totally. It's like a pop art blast. Yeah. And, the, and I also just love like the subtler elements. It opens with the thing in their facilities. But man, it's some kind of... I love the design of like the couches and the chairs. And I'm not hip to the lingo of what particular different styles are of the interior design, but it has a very affected notice to it that I think might also change the time. Like it's not very modern at all, but I, I just really was so pleased with this thing as not being an Alex Ross guy. It's fun to see him just go crazy. Cause the problem with the painted stuff is it's people, you know, he uses models. So it's somewhat, well, and supposedly he uses his neighbors yeah, I'm so sure it's, he's still using people. Yeah. So it's um Raquel but Welch's I feel like too. it's I feel like a lot of the time it's just ninety percent people and then like effects added in. Sort of like it reminds me of those cosplayers of these brilliant costumes. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. they like Photoshop like a flare in and you're like Right, right. And your costume is so much better than the Photoshop yeah, yeah, yeah. flare. It it just in some ways it distracts you. This full on like when he's in human torch mode. Like yeah. it looks like he's mostly fire. Like there's right. the vague he outline always, of the man. He always did a great human torch, right? I mean, that's so cool. And how good good does the thing look? I love his thing design. Really looks good. Yeah, not as beefy as maybe some people might have make him, but I'm I'm good with it. I like the face and the expression. Maybe um more for like a bulkier thing, but that, that's me. I also really like the homage to Kirby's entering the negative zone photo collage that's like black and white with the color yes. <laughs> Fantastic Four figures. Oh, like I was hoping over. he'd do something oh, like that. Totally does. It, it's it's really cool. Really cool. Yeah, just a, an excellent um, excellent all around. I really liked it. Like I said, for me, the story hooks didn't didn't really work as well. I, I think I'm just in a mood where that kind of filling in the holes sort of thing. I feel he it's had, kind of been beat a little it, bit. But. It was just a reason to get them to go to the negative yeah. zone. And while they're there, they see all these little things that are callbacks to old adventures in the negative zone, which I thought that was just fun and nostalgic. And it, it's the characterizations are competent, you know, thing and Johnny have their little fights and read with his $6. Like all that is, uh, competently executed, so I don't have any. It's not like I have any complaint with it, but compared to how what a marvelous visual treat it is, I feel like sometimes 
I don't know if I was the editor, I would have been like, you know, we can have less words in this thing. <laughs> now, how is it compared to the Neo Adams uh, miniseries? Hmm. Uh, way better. <laughs> okay. Yeah, way better. Those are comic books, and this is uh, a true OGN. Almost like those OGNs they used to do. Totally. It's the same size yeah. and uh, dimensions, although it's a hardcover, as the old Marvel, Marvel graphic novels of uh, square-bound ones of the, of the 80s. It's great. Andrew, you're up. Sure. Um, all right. Kevin, do you want to talk our joint book, or should I go in my own direction? Um, sure, let's do our joint book. All right. Well, Kev at Kevin's insistence, because I know he likes the character, <laughs> I've been getting the... He sounded really sold. <laughs> the uh, Genius Vell Captain Marvel series. I am now, up through issue four. I was trying to figure out what our joint book was, that's why. I was like, there I hope go. I read that one. <laughs> I did. And this this is the Peter David, uh, Juan N. Ramirez, uh, Frederico Blee, and no fill-in by the third issue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I only have the first issue of this, so I hope it, it, it continues on um, at the same pace. Oh, then maybe I... Well, I'll have one super minor spoiler to tie into what I said earlier. Super and minor. that is, this is where we... Steve, this is the book where... Uh, Jacinda shows up, yes. not in issue one. She right. shows up later on. Yes. So, sorry, That's Kevin. Worse. Spoiler for you. Jacinda <laughs> is in this book, but it's not that surprising. Peter David, you know, he's going to get the band back together. Isn't that his motto or something? Like, um, well steeped in Marvel. I don't know the first series like you guys. Oh, so the first, for me. Oh. Did you see they're doing an omnibus of that? Uh... Series, well, both of those series. That's going to be one big omnibus. That means it'll go on the Marvel Unlimited, too. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Like, that's that's one of those, like, hidden gems. I mean, I shouldn't uh, say it's that issues, hidden. Like, well, it it sold well series. enough when it first came out since it came right out of Avengers Forever. But, yeah. We're talking about the Peter David written yeah. uh, Captain Marvel series where he was all cosmic looking um, back in the 90s with uh crisscross doing the artwork yeah that art from part. crisscross is unreal yeah i have a, a couple of those issues but i didn't know how long it was there were two series there was one that was a little longer than the other yeah. but they were same creative team and uh well i guess back then it seemed very odd that they broke it up but now series break up every time there's a new writer so well the, there is there's a big difference between those series and it seems like they they get a new hot artist and then he goes off to like some big book or some other company or something and then they bring in another one and then they lose that artist <laughs> well this is uh so genus vel he's the uh son slash uh clone of captain marvel totally the the I guess I was using Monica as the real Captain Marvel. So we'll say the alien Captain Marvel. Man, Marvel Just, needs new names. And, I thought the, big, uh, I thought the big red cheese. The big red cheese is the real <laughs> Captain Marvel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, as people may recall with the his old man, him and Rick would bang the Negabands together and swap places. 
Um, so here we're going to, and he, uh, Peter Davis is going to drop us right back, kind of turn the clock back to our Janice Vell is wearing a jacket and has like a ponytail and everything. And his mind has been wiped clean, possibly from drink, because mm-hmm. they draw him with a big red nose. So <laughs> little joke there about that artistic thing where they sometimes color characters noses red i don't so, really get that little so little ted kennedy humor you're not doing yeah. an, like a rudolph joke then <laughs> it's not the season well oh good idea no i was thinking wc fields but rudolph is probably more of <laughs> the, the thing but anyway so he has no memory so that's a perfect way for us to kind of get up to speed and do a uh character flashback i feel like this should be like wally's wood instead of 22 panels it's like 22 gimmicks to exposition dump your character. Wow. <laughs> so he goes to a uh, a guy to, to you know, trigger his memory out in space. And that's how we get the... Fu- and I'm fine with it. So what happens is we get caught up to date, and then he and um, Rick are linked, and they're going to go follow up on Rick's wife, who I thought was his ex-wife, but I guess they're still married, who was off with Moondragon. I believe that's where it ended up, yeah. So then what happens is Rick now has some of that cosmic awareness-y powers because they've been a little bit merged, I guess. I was not aware that Rick ever got those himself. I thought they kind of kept it separate when they switched over. But he's going to go and try and find his wife because they don't see her with Moondragon. So we get lots of fun cameos with Rick back on Earth checking everything out and using his sorcerer powers of cosmic awareness. And it turns out Marlo's been kidnapped for a zoo by Boss Bragg. Character is this a character you know, Kevin? Boss Bragg? No. But I, I <laughs> but I couldn't tell you if they were in the original series because it's it's been some time, so I mean, for all so, I know, maybe he showed up in, like, one issue and harassed someone or something. But we've all seen the conceit of, like, the alien that captures aliens, including humans, and has them on a zoo. And Yeah. Well, we all know how that storyline resolves. Uh, you unlock all the cages. Yep. But this is when we learn that Rick and Jenny, as he likes to be called, I believe, mm. have <laughs> joke, he mm. does not. He likes to be referred to by his proper name. They are having some problems because uh, without the negabands, he can't control his explodiness. And Rick is suffering from some intangibility. So obviously that's going to be the driver over the next few issues to get them back together and also get the negabands going and all that stuff. And I do appreciate that when they go into negaband space, they put a very light kind of tone, would you say, Kevin? I'm sure it's an effect now. I doubt it's like he's got transfer packs of old Zipatone out or whatever. <laughs> that would be cool. I, I would love to think that, yeah. So it's, I, I as you guys, long time listeners know, I'm a fan of crazy tones. So I like that part a lot. When Isn't there like a tone together. store or something in Japan? You can buy a lot of tone? <laughs> there must be. But that's where that drives us forward to go and they got to explain and you got to get together got to get the band together you got to get the nega bands you got to hook up with everybody and it ends with an appearance by thanos 
previously thought to be dead, demanding the body of Janice Val. I mean, this... because Kevin hasn't read further ahead. Blah, no. blah, blah. Jacinda joins the crew. You get more of the Cree. You find out what's going on with them. You find out kind of one of the other running stories involves death. So if you like death, you like Jacinda, you like the Cree, you like space, you like uh, Jenny Light, or is it Jenny Cremail, Steve? <laughs> Any... Central New York humor <laughs> for you. I just like that anything that Peter David has written is like you know, in, in bounds. So like just into showing up that kind of a thing. Yeah. It's like, Oh yeah, uh, uh, that's right. That was a Peter David character. Isn't yeah. that, that's fun. He's a Plus, fun writer. Yeah. The team knows like, okay, it's time for a little fight scene. It's time for a little humor. It's time to push the plot. Like, you know, this is not his first rodeo. So if you're familiar with his work, unless you don't like these characters or whatever, it's executed to that level where you're like, yeah, this is well done corporate superhero comics. I dig it. I, I think this feels more like the like that series better than when he appeared in the Thunderbolts and he was losing his mind. Like th this is more. I mean, it should be if you're bringing the character back and then you're like this should be more fun and in tone with what uh, what he is, what he does. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna keep. As long as I keep seeing it, I'll buy. I mean, certainly I'll give it, I don't know, 10, 20 issues. See how it wraps up. That's <laughs> my current plan. You're so, so funny, Andrew. You know, I'm not going to say past 25 or so if I'm still buying, but I think so. It seems good. I'll be interested to see when they get to the fill-in guy, you know, <laughs> how, what that goes like. But they made it through four issues with the same art team, which some kind of small miracle. But yeah. I'm glad Kevin uh, likes this character. It pushed me to grab it. And also I was in a headspace where I'm like, okay, I'm kind of taking a little break from Axe and the Venom verse and all the stuff they got going on to hustle joint books. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yep. this has a feel of something that's going to be, I mean, not that there won't be crossovers or whatever. <laughs> I'm hoping it's not going to get dragged into Secret Wars 8 or whatever the heck. Dude, it's going to be one. <laughs> It's going to be one more issue to wrap the thing up. I don't believe you people. This is going to go on. <laughs> yeah, good momentum. It can go for at least another 30, 40 issues. I read the first arc of each of the new Captain America titles. There's Captain America Sentinel of Liberty. That's written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Carmen Carnero. The idea of this book, gather around me, boys, because this is going to be a tough one to swallow. Well, Cap, yeah, I bailed after the first issue, Steve, so bring Cap, me back on board. Cap me, learns that his shield, his shield the design of his shield isn't patriotic at all. It's the secret symbol of this mysterious clandestine group, the outer circle that has five agents as their five points of the star. And they were behind Steve becoming cap Bucky becoming the winter soldier, Betty white dying. I mean, he, they were behind everything. <laughs> oh, jeez! Like they, it was them all along. So Cap is fighting on to learn more. 
and it puts him at odds with the Winter Soldier. Like, what happened to that whole man on the wall thing with Winter Soldier? Anyway, do we know? Uh, do we do we do we really have to go back to that, Steve? Speaking of Robo things, Dugan, is, uh... it's it's always been Robo Dugan, Kevin. Yeah. No. <laughs> but so it's pretty bad. But there's another Cap book. So there's Captain America: Symbol of Truth. Uh, that follows the Sam Wilson Captain America, written by Tochi Onibuchi, with art by R.B. Silva and Julian Shaw. Something tells me this isn't going to be a bad guy of the month book either. And it isn't. International geopolitics are at play here in this book, and Sam Cap infiltrates Wakanda to save them from these vibranium arms dealers and then gets in trouble for it because he wasn't allowed onto their soil. So it's a big international incident and he fights the black Panther in issue five, which was pretty cool. Although Sam wasn't in costume, so it wasn't much of a fight. Um, and then Sam's Falcon sidekick who looks like he's from the Island of Dr. Moreau. He's not really a winner for me either. Um, I don't know. I give, I gave both books a shot, but double thumbs down on this new iteration of both of the cat books. I would say that uh, Brubaker casts a big shadow over Captain America still. It's hmm, interesting. Yeah, and, and once they did that whole event where he became a Hydra yep. Lord, it kind of broke him. Cosmic Cube. Hmm. <laughs> Steve, uh, that didn't do a good job of bringing me back on the title. <laughs> yeah, no. That's why I didn't save it for my... I still have one more book to go. Well, so now, I, now, I'm gonna, now I have I to read Captain America. I didn't want to end on a bad note. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin, what do you got? Uh, I'm not, I don't want to go super in-depth in on, uh, on these Spider-Man books, but I feel like we always give us... An update on what's happening in uh, that corner of the universe. Like we already yeah, touched on up. that um, axe issue of uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Um, I think the book is getting better, but I always felt thought the book is a bit weird. But maybe part of that is because we had that weird gap at the beginning of the book, which they'll get to explain next year, I imagine. They, they still haven't touched upon it. It's This is the Zeb Wells written... And John Romita Jr. drawn Amazing Spider-Man. It's up to issue 13, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, probably part of that, like, they had that good tie-in issue. And then you bring in the Hobgoblin, and, man, do I love some Hobgoblin. But did we really need to, again, go back to the whole who is the Hobgoblin thing? <laughs> oh, this is kind of funny. It's been done so many times. I know, I know. It is it is kind of kind of like that in a way, but then like the whole where Peter's with Osborne, like that is totally like new stuff, and that is weird stuff. It is weird. He's been purged of his badness by the uber powerful reanimated Sin Eater some time back. So, it, but like... you know what? You know what's weird, though? I just recently saw that um, whatever one of those Spider-Man movies had the all the villains pulled in from the alternate realities mm -hmm. and stuff. And 
don't you know Norman is good and trying to be helpful? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what they're doing in the comics. They've made him, <laughs> they made it more like the movie. Yeah, I feel like they're like, here's this questionable plot from the previous book and run with it. And they're like, okay, let's see if we can make something out of this thing that didn't really amount to as much as I... It, 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 it feel like the book isn't as good as you want it to be but it's trying <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there's i joke about the hobgoblin i mean there is a slightly new but still super confusing retcon twist that did make for a good page turn reveal at the end of one of the issues but the charm of these this pop goblin storyline i think is that there's some good old-fashioned spidey fighting a goblin on a glider scenes you know yeah and then you have um the spider-man book which says slot returning to spider-man and uh good old reliable mark bagley i mean i know andrew loved those hoof feet and everything Hey man, the guy who kicks can do like eight books a month or something. <laughs> he gets nothing but respect. <laughs> I just read a title where they had a fill-in guy by the third issue. So, and this is the end of the Spider Verse. And while I enjoyed this, I also it's not hitting the heights. I mean, I guess maybe that's intentional because we we're like doing like a big story that could be even bigger if they wanted. To be, I mean, they did have like sort of like an intro miniseries that introed a bunch of new uh, Spider guys. Yeah, I have a bunch of those Edge of Spider Verse comics. I think seven or eight of them. I haven't read them yet. Is this seven what you're tying eight. into, only Kevin? Five issues. Oh, well, I guess in five <laughs> issues. Five. Well, maybe maybe you bought a couple issues twice. I mean, That's he's done it before. Are they good? Should I read them? Or should I throw them out without reading them, Kevin? Well, maybe you got the previous series from a few years ago, and you got the current one as well. Or you yeah, got some because of those they've been having variants. one every year now. The, the last one was a Gwenverse thing, wasn't it? No, there was one before that. No, I know, but I'm saying the most recent one. The, the, no, the no. last one. It was Edge of Spider-Verse. Oh, okay. Wasn't it Edge? Yeah, it says Edge of Spider-Verse on yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Uh, this one has like... Uh, craven with all kinds of weird yeah. arms and then there's one yeah. with devil dinosaur on it yes. and there's one with uh They're... lady yeah. spider-man and ghost spider i can't say all those those new spider things worked with the dinosaur that's that's and he's fighting like um a pterodactyl that's that's norman osborne i was like i don't i don't know like the devil dinosaur is it works but somehow that didn't quite do we Come still on. call her Ghost Spider, Kevin? Spider Gwen. It's easier. But yeah, I feel like this isn't hitting the heights of of slots like best Spider-Man stories, but still definitely enjoyable stuff to be had. And uh, some it, crazy reveals and. Uh, other stuff going on. I mean, we're sort of still in the intro stage where they're setting stuff up. Right, the Edge of Spider-Verse, they all got them first appearances, Kevin. I thought you'd be all over those. <laughs> I mean, I did buy that one, not the other one, though. 
All right. Gary, you got one more? Uh, let me see here. What else did I read? Oh, oh. The one that... Have you been following, like, Jason Allen's Avengers? Oh. Yes. Okay. I mean, I can see why people don't groove on his Avengers, but for me, there's been so much imaginative stuff and just kooky stuff that I'm usually entertained. Some of it I I didn't like when he was doing, like, the Western ones. (laughs) And then... And then uh, I, I like the other series, the Avengers Forever, where, you know, like they have the different versions of, of each of the I- iconic characters. Yeah. Thor with the fists. Yeah, yeah. So what happened, I guess, in 61 is is, is they had they had the character who who's like the um, what is she? She's the. What do you call it? The the. Star Blazer? Starbrand? Starbrand, okay. And they keep on telling her, oh, you sit back here and don't do anything because we can't control your powers and and, and you're aging fast. So they leave her in, in, in the headquarters alone. And then she goes and she goes into all these different timelines and she beats up the villains. And she doesn't realize that she's getting older each time that she does it so then the, the last scene at the end of that issue was is you, you see her turning into almost like an Aunt May superhero <laughs> the golden oldie yeah. so I was all ready to see her doing that doing like a follow up issue to that series 61 but then they do 62 which is really a follow up to to I guess the, the special issue where they have the Avengers in in prehistoric times. They and always keep have, going back to them. Yeah, they, you have Odin stuff. and you have um, Amagato. Not his eye, but actually the person. who be, And then you have Mephisto. And then you have the, the Ghost Rider. And you have a whole sequence about that. And I guess they're all leading up to, to a, I guess, a crossover between this team, the, the prehistoric team, and then the Avengers Forever team, which I guess uh, they could have almost made that into a, a mini event if they wanted to. Well, it, but, I think it will conclude in an event that yeah, uh, we'll finishes see. off Jason Aaron's run. Yep. But... They can't be doing this event and, and the Axe event at the same time. Well, Axe is over. Oh, yep. okay. And this and this one's still building. They still have to bring back the multiversal bad Avengers and everything. Yeah. The, uh, not bad Avengers, the, what do they call them? Uh, the, the multiversal Masters, ma- of, evil. Masters of Evil. Masters of yeah. Evil, that's it. I was going to say the Brotherhood, but yeah, they're yeah. the Masters. But I, I'd rather see what happens to to um, Starbrand and, and and what's gonna what's gonna happen to her. You like the like, art? The art is is very good. It's 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 the art changes a lot on this book, but it's usually good 
Yeah, you know, I, I guess it depends on, on the storyline. I think that's what they, they're they doing. Maybe a different artist each time they yeah. they have yep. a different angle of the story. Sometimes I mean, it's it, really busy. Yeah. It, it depends if you like this prehistoric Avengers team. I mean, I don't have a problem with them. <laughs> that right that Kevin's alley. that was explaining Thor's, um, who was Thor's mother was, was kind of weird. That's, yeah. yeah, that's the element that's weird, yeah. For sure. Speaking of weird, Andrew, got one more? <laughs> oh, yeah, you want something weird. Okay, Kevin's always saying, I only read the first issues of comic books. So, I don't know. I was at the store... Or things you think are the first issues. A comic book <laughs> that I didn't know anything about and bought started with issue five. Wow. Oh. So uh, just to prove, I bought, I like the cover. It's called Mech Strike Monster Hunters. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, By Christos Gage, Paco Diaz, Juanjo Ramos, and Proto Bunkers. I, I, did you just Sifuentes throw a dart? Oh, did I just what? You did you just throw a dart at 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 a dartboard, and it came up with this issue. No, I was in the store, and I'm like, that looks cool. Like all the superheroes are giant robots. Doesn't I don't know cool. nothing about this comic book, but I can figure it out. I'm a big boy. I've read a fair number of comic books, and uh, yeah, the cover is what it is. Like they're all. Uh, <laughs> You know, giant robot versions, but they have like a super dense, crazy paragraph on the inside cover to catch you up, which I did not read because I'm like, I think I get the conceit of, you know, yeah, yeah, superheroes with giant robots and giant monsters. I don't think I need to know. And they also go and put in who their names are. And Kevin, they call her Ghost Spider here. Yeah. So in the Mech Strike Monster Hunters, it isn't Spider Gwen. But it's a weird collection of Wasp, Hulk, Black Panther, Iron Man, Ghost Spider, Rocket, Groot, and Doctor Strange. Huh. And, this, uh, is the, this is the second series, mind you. So they had the more usual characters in the first series, and now they're expanding because after the first series, you're like, oh, that was pretty cool. But it would be really cool to see other characters have mechs too. And that, that's what we're getting here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they, they have a big splash of Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, Captain America, Wolverine. You're more likely... Uh, I, I didn't read that first one either. But, you know, Groot is fun because he's in it. But he's the... It's funny that, you know, Groot is more the kaiju style than the giant mech suit style so he shows up as the kaiju and dr doom is in it but he kind of reminds me of that transformers movie from the 80s his face looks more robotic like the character designs in those which i thought was kind of a nice throwback i don't know if this is done intentionally or it's just i'm putting together robot faces that all kind of look the same because i feel in the movie Sort of been the mid '80s, I think. They made an effort to really make some of the robots more human-looking, because a lot of them I don't think had toys, so they could make some that looked more impressive. And that's why I feel he looks like. But all his, um, a lot of extra spikes and everything too, because you know robots with giant spikes, and giant Groot fighting giant Doctor Doom. Yeah. So you know, 
And then at the end, the watcher's like, yeah, man, this was a lot of hard work, but you know, <laughs> they got a lot of bad stuff coming up. So and then it cuts with them partying and not in mech form. You know, Doctor Strange is levitating some hors d'oeuvres and they're all eating and talking, uh, having some pizza and fries. And it's the end question mark. So, yeah, I was able to put the high concept of superheroes and giant robot suits. <laughs> but it was fun. I, this thing has to be set up for like a cartoon or something, I would guess. Like it seems per I mean, it works great in the comic book form, too, with lots of bright colors and blasts and spells and robots and all that. But it just seems like, man, this would be perfect to get younger kids, too. You know what I mean? Because I think the appeal of robots and monsters is one that stretches from young kids to older kids and to adults more readily than some of the cerebral superhero stuff you can get. Like, I don't know if a young kid would be into that Janice Bell series (laughs) in the same way you give like a five-year-old this comic and they'd be like, oh yeah, big robots. I mean, kids still like big robots, was, I'm guessing. That was the problem with the first Genesville series. <laughs> Captain Marvel series. Well, I mean, the first one you could probably more likely give to a kid, but the second one, I don't think so. He yeah, went to so some, I like uh, right. and I like some different territory too. there. We might have to yeah, cover yeah, that series. No, the, the creative team was solid, Andrew, for sure, on the first series, too. That long run on Avengers Academy that I think we all liked. All right, to wrap up, I want to offer up the Alien first 12-issue Marvel series. Alien like the movie Alien. Like Xenomorph Aliens. Yeah, you don't want to draw the wrong aliens into a comic. (laughs) Written by my pal who I hugged just weeks ago, Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by salvador la roca it's an alien book so there's you know there's got to be some pretty heavy character development to set the stage right like some scenario and the first six issue arc is set 80 years after the first alien film so does that match up with uh known continuity i don't know because i'm really unfamiliar with known continuity okay. i i saw aliens and alien two and three and whatever back in the day in the movies but i didn't find them interesting enough to rewatch and get into the whole mythos of it so to me the mythos is that first movie okay where you, you was... weren't going to take elaborate notes and then no because because that was cool it was a haunted house in space right and it's you're true. in the you're in the spaceship and there's one alien and with all the scientific knowledge and and a group of humans, that one alien, because it's an unknown being, the way it adapts and changes, is just unkillable and unstoppable. I mean, it's, his blood is acid and everything, right? But by the second movie, it's like if you had six bullets in your gun, you could kill six aliens. Like, <laughs> what was powerful about the aliens was that there was strength in numbers. There were so many of them. And I get it that that amps up the horror but it also changed the dynamic. And, and that first movie, I really thought was cool. I feel like we, you always get to that point in, in media, right? Where 
something gets devalued and everything. It's like now it's all all of them at the same time, and it's like oh, yeah. Well, the first six issue arc here, like I said, it's eighty years after the first Alien film, so there's no Ripley and that kind of thing, and it's very much in the vibe I thought of Arthur C. Clarke's Odyssey three, the twenty sixty one book, which I really enjoyed. Here, there's a just about to retire, like company military man, who infiltrates a satellite laboratory to save his son who's there as part of like an activist group that broke in to like let the laboratory animals free kind of a thing and vandalize the place and he's used to work security on the satellite so they let him go up to try to save his kid but of course there's a xenomorph on board and spoiler maybe more than one uh oh and Kennedy Johnson also introduces the angle that we've all considered, I think, when that movie came out that made people think about like what the origins of humanity and what the purpose of the aliens and all that stuff. Because it definitely saw these types of ideas, maybe not exactly this, bounced around even in my limited uh, capacity to follow things on the internet but he introduces the angle that like the xenomorphs are like a universal immune response to spacefaring beings like to clamp down on civilizations and cultures that are spreading too far kind of thing Hmm. keep keeping the universe in check in some way kind of like a galactus if you will i was thinking the big g Right. So then the second six issue arc takes place two years later on a distant farm colony uh, planet or moon. And they're doing so well on this farm planet community that they've grown completely self-sufficient and they don't have to order any more expensive supplies back from Earth. So the company being pissed that they're losing you know almost like being uh england to the americas you know going off on their own and being self-sufficient and not needing to to pay them anymore they send some xenomorphs their way Hmm. so to wipe them out and there's some really cool imagery of like you know xenomorphs running through cornfields and barns and chicken coops and you know it's 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 pretty cool it's like um xenomorphs on the prairie or something so the roca's on this this whole thing yeah the the first series at least the first 12 okay. issues now there's a there was a reboot and a new number one i don't know who the artist is i haven't looked because i've bought them but haven't read because i'm waiting for the first few to pile up but yeah. it's still philip kennedy johnson writing which I and I like how he's, you know, using the xenomorphs obviously and the movie continuity, but not tying it to the movies at all by moving it further into the future and not having it tied into like like the Ripleys and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's not Ripley. 
It's not Ripley um, Junior Senior. Yeah, right, right. Ripley the third. <laughs> She's the old professor that has to, you know, whatever. No. <laughs> I come so from fun. a long line of Ripleys. Because who I doesn't like those aliens? Right here? You know, who doesn't like alien designs, right? So yeah. uh, it, these alien comics have been cool, and it makes it feel like each arc can be its own thing. And they usually have some evil android. I mean, are they doing yeah. that that yep. much? Oh, or? yeah. Oh, yeah. And and at least making a nod to that, for sure. All right. Why don't we make that uh, episode 402 of Marvel Noise? Thank you, Gary, for joining us again. Thanks, Steve. Don't be a stranger. Well, whenever and... I, whenever I have time and, and somebody's not home, I can do, you know. Oh, you'll slum and hang with us. Hmm. All right. <laughs> Andrew, I expect you're, you're slumming. I, I count on your slumming. <laughs> I'm the king your, of slums. Your capacity for slumming. <laughs> and Kevin, I don't know why you hang out with all us old timers, but we're glad you do. I mean, it's a good time. What can I say? <laughs> oh shoot! I don't have a I don't have a good clothes, guys. Steve, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, the EOC guys they have like a little thing that goes around where if you're a patron, they send you um, different pictures of pulp magazines or. or or different things on the patron um, emails. And so, this week they've been, they've had, you can download fanzines. I don't know if if somebody scanned them or if they, from their private collection, but they've sent around Foom number one and Foom number two. Oh, well, that's fun. And, and, and I read Foom number two and it actually had an ad for Jim Steranko's History of Comics, nice. where the first volume was three dollars, <laughs> and the second volume was five dollars cover price. And I remember buying those two volumes in double day during the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually, and and the second volume had an ad saying you had to mail in five dollars for the third volume. And I remember actually getting bugging my father for a five dollar check and mailing it in, and I never got the third volume. Wow! <laughs> and and there's been a couple of times where I see Stavanko at the, at his table, and I've teased him about that, and he just gives me a snide look, and he says, "How about if I buy you a drink instead?" Until Gary gets the third volume of Steranko's History of Comics, <laughs> make mine marvel. Later. <laughs> there you go. See, see what happens. Well, I'm That's glad I helped you out. <laughs>